Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. From the commanding officer of the Royal Naval College at Osborne, reporting the theft of a five-shilling postal order was cashed by your son, Cadet Ronald Arthur Winsler, that they must therefore request you to withdraw your son from the college. If you did it, you must tell me. Did you steal this postal order? No, father, I didn't. From acclaimed writer-director, David Mamet. The father's fight for his little boy's honor. Well, I venture to think the case has rather wider implications than that. One can not sue the crowd. I intend to fight this monstrous injustice with every weapon at my disposal. I'm rather surprised that a case of this sort should interest you. My attitude has been the same as yours, a determination to win at all costs. Are we both mad, you and I? Tell me. Should we drop the whole thing? I don't consider that a serious question. Nigel Hawthorne, Rebecca Pigeon, Jeremy Northam, Gemma Jones, and Guy Edwards. The Winslow Boy. All right, we're here to talk about The Winslow Boy, huh? It's something that I think everyone has demanded. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you... uh yeah, that sounds like sarcastic enthusiasm, but you told me earlier this week that you wanted to uh, double dip and watch this again with the uh, audio commentary track. So did you follow through on that? I did double dip and I did listen to the audio commentary track and it was, it was, you know, it was very enlightening. <laughs> still, still sounds kind of sarcastic. Well, so. I le- okay. I learned, I learned something that I didn't know. And, and as an editor myself, it was really interesting. Uh, David Mamet talks on the commentary track of this movie about something called an inline cut and basically saying that they don't really do them very much anymore, that it was sort of a convention in 1940s, 1950s movies. And he's, he's going on and on about this, like he's mentioning it every single time it happens in the movie. And it took me forever to realize what he was talking about. So a uh, angle, when it's, if, it, if you cut from one angle to another, where the shot is basically like, let's say, a wide master, and you cut in without redirecting the camera without like moving it by 30 degrees or whatever like you just punch in 
that's an inline cut. And you don't really do it a whole lot because it's very noticeable. I used to see them a lot in old Cecil B. DeMille movies like The Greatest Show on Earth, uh, and they, they would bug me uh, a ton. Uh, so yeah, there. I, I gained something from that, and I'm okay. not going to let you take it away from me, Michael. Well, I, I assume you'll be editing this episode, so it probably won't uh, be taken away from, from, from the podcast, but... Uh, was the reasoning uh, that this was a remake of a classic film? Well, I don't think they looked at it as a remake of a classic film. And I guess it would help if I'd done any research on, <laughs> the, you know, the thing uh, that we're talking about. But let me pull it up right now. Okay. Because this is, a, this is an adaptation of a Terrence Radigan play, which was turned into a movie in the late 40s. And I've never seen the movie. I had never seen this, uh, this adaptation either. Uh, so I'm kind of interested to see the 1940s adaptation, because apparently, unlike this adaptation, they actually dramatize uh, the the a lot of the courtroom scenes. Mm. Um, and so, okay, so that's like the big difference that we see in this movie and in this story itself is that for a courtroom drama, there are not, there's like maybe two scenes that actually take place in an actual courtroom. And a lot of the big moments uh, that happen inside courtrooms, the, the reading of the verdict, the witnesses uh, on the stand giving dramatic testimony and last minute evidence coming in and blah, blah, blah. None of that happens in this movie. It's more about the principle of the legality that has been violated. Sure. And about how this family reacts to that. So I'm talking on and on about this movie and this story, but this is a <laughs> Michael Denniston pick. I had never yes. heard of this, and I'm assuming uh, you picked it because you like David Mamet. That's that is correct. I'm like you, um, not seen the uh, prior film based on this material, and had not seen Mamet's version from 1999. But yes, that's the only reason it makes the cut because I'm thinking. Let's see. I don't think uh, Jeremy Northam moves the the sticks at all anymore. Uh, Nigel did he, Hawthorne. Did he ever? <laughs> Well, you know, and I guess unfortunately for him, I only remember him as the the villain from the net, the the really cheesy mid '90s Sandra Bullock thriller, which is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, I'm guessing at that time, maybe he was uh, an up and comer. I thought this was going to be more like just the way it's set up, knowing nothing about it. That when this little boy shows up in the rain back to his family's estate, uh, coming back from school, and is they they acknowledge like, wait, it's not a holiday break. He's not to, supposed to be there. So something bad has happened. I thought uh, it would be something, I guess, by today's standards, and I guess by today, I mean at least 1999, that it would be something of note. And so I'm watching this, and even if I like, I think if we try to explain it to to people that you know it's this very sort of like what this 14 year old like a a petty crime that's that's committed, just a theft, and not a grand theft or anything at all. I I wonder if people will, hearing the the plot details if they would be interested at all. Uh, in this, as I said, doesn't have like a star-studded cast now, and I don't know. You really have to be a huge Mammoth fan, but it doesn't really. I don't think it would strike someone as like the classic or the typical David Mammoth joint. So I'll just out myself and say I was pleasantly surprised, and I kept being surprised by the movie because once I realized what the story was going to be about, I was just like, "Well, this is not really that interesting." And the father character here, just as you said, the <laughs> this is a film just about the principle of things and maintaining one's honor, even if by dragging out your defense, uh, you're calling more attention to it than you know what the 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 initial offense would have to begin with. I I really dug it, and to your 
point about it not focusing on the courtroom stuff. I think that's what saves it for me because I don't care about that at all. I don't really care about the actual case. I just care about this family who, for whatever reason, they draw a line in the sand and they're not going to allow the, their 14-year-old brother, son, whatever, have some sort of black mark that most people would probably forget about, you know, by the time he's in high school or whatever. So I liked it. And I don't really know why. This is one that, although I'm someone who likes mammoth movies, I don't know why I was so interested in this, even as I was watching it. It caught me by surprise, too. And I think it speaks to how cynical of a society that we live in right now, because yeah. just like you, it, it basically took me a good hour to realize that this wasn't going to be a movie about an extremely sociopathic uh, <laughs> child who sure. was manipulating everyone <laughs> around him. And even at the end, I was kind of like, well, like part of me was thinking, oh, you know, yeah, he's, they're going to they're going to reveal something. And mm -hmm. uh, but, like but the good son or primal fear or something of that nature. Well, I was thinking of like the children's hour where you have that child who tells the lie that, mm -hmm. that ends up ruining, you know, people's lives and everything. And it really isn't a spoiler for us to go into these details. I don't think you're ever supposed to think that this child, you know, is guilty of what he's been accused of, of stealing this post note. So have you ever seen The Verdict? Out of curiosity, the uh, the Paul Newman, yeah, from, from the early mid '80s, I think. Yeah, I saw it once. So the original draft of the, I guess the first draft of the verdict, which is written by David Mamet, has uh, at the and again, not a spoiler because they didn't actually produce the movie this way. Uh, but the original ending of the verdict, they never read the actual uh, verdict in the movie, The Verdict, and obviously, so they didn't go with that, and they ended up changing it. But I kind of feel like maybe this is as close as David Mamet could ever get to really breaking a lot of those courtroom drama conventions mm. here. You know, we, we, we do get a verdict here, but, we, but it's presented by the, the person you would least expect it to, to be delivered from. The only real big dramatic scene that we have, it comes in the middle when Jeremy Northam, uh, a barrister, what would you what would you call him? Uh, you know, is interrogating the uh, son, actually, you know, the Winslow boy in question. You seem easily muddled. How many other lies have you told? None, really, I haven't. I suggest your whole testimony is a lie. No, it's the truth. I suggest there is barely one single word of truth in anything you've said either to me or to the judge advocate or to the commander. I suggest that you broke into Elliot's locker that you stole the postal order for five shillings belonging to Elliot, that you cashed it by means of forging his name. I didn't. I didn't. I suggest that you did it for a joke, meaning to give Elliot the five shillings back, but that when you met him and he said he'd reported the matter, you got frightened and decided to keep quiet. No, no. It isn't true. It isn't true. None of it's true. I suggest that the time has at last come for you to undo some of the misery you've caused by confessing to us all now that you are a forger, a liar, and a thief. How dare! Uh, I'm not! I'm not! I didn't do it! This is outrageous, I sir. didn't do any of it. It's all right, John. It's all right. Send all of his files here by tomorrow morning. But will you need them now? Oh, yes. The boy is plainly innocent. Y you know, and that kind of gets to my only criticism of the film. And I think you kind of touched upon it. But for all the conventions that this movie breaks, I feel like, one, they would have been uh, well-served to follow would be to get an actor who has a bit more of a dramatic presence uh, than Jeremy mm. Northam. And, mm. and, and when he starts to pull some of those like Perry Mason type shenanigans and, and explanations of thought processes and everything, I found myself not really buying it. And I thought back to another courtroom drama, Inherit the Win. Have you seen that from 1960? I've not. Uh, mm. You should. You really should. So in Inherit the Win, both the movie and the play, the whole first act 
is spent talking about these two attorneys who are going to come in to debate what is a veiled portrait of the Scopes monkey trial. And then you get, you you know, it's revealed, of course, in the movie that, you know, that it's Frederick March and Spencer Tracy, you know, these big lines of, of you know, their craft uh, facing off against each other. Here, Jeremy Northam didn't quite do it for me. And maybe that's the point. Maybe he's supposed to be, when, when what's her name, Rebecca Pigeon first runs into his office, I think she mistakes his assistant uh for you know for being him <laughs> and that's you you're, you're looking for a, a paul newman or a spencer tracy type i feel like it's one convention they would have been well served to stick with because the movie does kind of place a lot of emphasis on his intellect uh yeah that's that's my one criticism with the film and i can't believe you've already forgotten jeremy northam from gosford park uh where he uh. played ivor novello <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> what I remember of that conversation was you lecturing me for a good 10 minutes. And it's like, it was, it was such a strange conversation because I don't know, like, where do you, where do you rank Gosford Park either in the year it came out or in Altman's work? Cause you, you seem very like passionate. Very, very about, high. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, okay, I guess that's fair then because, uh, yeah, you were really wanting me to, to revisit and uh, re-examine my feelings with that one. So I'm guessing I'm not playing my part with the Winslow boy, but I... <laughs> You know, I think this one ages a lot better. Like, I really mm-hmm. liked watching it 20 years later in this particular climate, not to get you know too political, but where not only if someone is accused of something, we, we definitely assume uh, their guilt. And then there seems to be a, a part of society that gets increasingly angry if there's not an immediate apology to her that meets their satisfaction for for you know mob justice and it was it was interesting to watch a movie where you have people telling the father like you know this this will cost you a lot of money this is drawing like unwanted attention Uh, you see some of the financial constraints you see some of the i guess uh societal repercussions where his older daughter uh has engaged to be married and married in that family it's not even that they care so much if this boy stole this you know post note or whatever they just like they just don't want this in the in the papers and it's just a bad look and it's it was amusing to me to see a movie now where you have a guy it doesn't matter what the charge is mm-hmm. he's just he's just not going to allow something to be if he doesn't believe that that's right that that's fair and i really like the scene i'm i was a lot like you i, I like the scene where he just takes his son aside and just looks him in the eye and is like you're going to tell me you're going to tell me the truth and he believes him and i'm i don't know if that makes me a cynic i'm thinking like oh that poor old man like the the kids pulled one over on him <laughs> like you know like <laughs> he's he's going to find out that this was all for naught uh so i just i just found it a really you know pleasant experience i guess it's pleasant as it can be it's a david mamet movie that's rated g it's one of those things that i think you know if people did give it a chance now well you, you, the people who i'm talking about probably would get you know uh angry for whatever reason again or they'd be on twitter uh raging and not really paying attention it's it's a slow movie and it doesn't fit into the box i think even like with maybe some of the romantic tension you have mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the uh older sister that's to be engaged and with jeremy northam with this uh barrister the you know there, i mean there's certainly something there but i think it diverges so much from audience expectation as far as you're thinking like, okay, this is the reason for why like this such a small and trivial thing is taking up a movie's plot or a, you know, an hour 45 minute runtime. So it's, it's really going to be a MacGuffin for this romance, uh, which it's not really. And I, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was, uh, it's just a classy joint, Ben. Mm-hmm. And it was, That's uh, a very good it was way just, to put it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, yeah, this you're talking about this the sort of slight romance that happens between Rebecca Pigeon and Jeremy Northam's character, and it's established that she's been volunteering uh, as a woman suffragette. I was surprised to find out that the last line that that Northam has in this film, you know, which sounds very stagey, sounds like something a playwright would put in, and it's actually not. It was actually an invention of of Mamet's. Northam makes some sort of crack about the differences between men and women and how she'll be seeing him again sometime soon or whatever. Yeah, there's not much else to peel back uh, here, although I guess I would definitely place myself as being in the cynic camp because I really did think we would go down a kind of predictable path of eventually finding out that the, that this kid, that there's more going on beneath the surface you know, of this, of this case. But that's not what, what the story is up to. I really like the way the story uh, and the film uses the character of the maid. And she is the mm-hmm. stand-in for the common folk uh, here. And they didn't get like a Thelma Ritter type or whatever. They didn't get a character actress who can represent that really well. Even though that would have been one route to go down, they ended up getting someone who does actually look like a very plain faced common person. And two scenes really stick out. There's this early scene between her and the father, played by Nigel Hawthorne, where she basically communicates to him unknowingly that the the mob uh, (laughs) of people is basically against him uh, at this point and basically doesn't believe the kid. And she doesn't mean to hurt him in that way, but she does. And then later on in the film... It's kind of really, it's kind of quite poetic that we get her as the deliver as she's basically she basically is able to deliver the climax, uh, which which is quite quite an interesting uh, way to do it. I thought you were going to talk about when she delivers the extra drink and he calls her out on it, like <laughs> basically serving herself. Uh, so, in your estimation, has this like has this received any play in the last like twenty years, or did this just disappear immediately? And like you know, it's only us two idiots like still talking about it now. I mean, it's us two idiots, I guess, because I'd never heard of it. And if I had never heard of it, then I can't imagine anyone else has. But but you know, it's a real find. It's a real find. I mean, yeah, it's a decent, listen to you. Uh, film. You keep going through uh, your uh, courtroom dramas, and you're like, well, this one's got bigger stars. You probably have seen this or that. So uh, I think uh, yeah, it's definitely with the verdict. You know, if you've got if you're a fan of that, maybe you want to check this one out. I remember on your old podcast, I think that was when I started listening to uh, Cinematic for the People. You were, you were doing a courtroom drama series for the month that I remember, and I, I enjoyed that quite a bit, so I'm glad we got to have one on this podcast. I seem to remember The Winslow Boy coming up, so maybe I had heard of it then, but I didn't really think to include it because I'd never... It, it wasn't one... Yeah, that, <laughs> it wasn't even in the conversation. Um, it was just one that came up on lists and everything. Uh, I, I think I'd really want to check out Terrence Radigan's other really famous play, The Browning Version, and there's a movie version of that, which I believe is directed by Anthony Asquith. Uh, which sounds right. Uh, And it is right. It is right. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, (laughs) I have a copy of that somewhere and I should probably get around to watching it. I like that you were momentarily humble there, and then but you you had it like a second later. Yes, I am correct. Like I have verified. That was Wikipedia. uh, Yeah. (laughs) What do we have uh, coming up next? I've totally forgotten. I've been scrambling with all these wires in my living room here. uh, So we could record this. So what what is up next? (laughs) I, I will uh, I will look it up because I that was a genuine question I did not know um, I do want to say uh, dear listeners that this is maybe the first conversation we've had in some time we've had no issues with Skype so that means we're, we're due for more on the next episode which is decidedly different from the Winslow boy it is the 
Brendan Fraser starring version of The Mummy. So getting into the summer blockbuster season of 1999. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99 99.